Good morning. Welcome to Pine Island Baptist Church online this morning. Uh, everyone uh, seems to be doing much better, so I'm looking forward to seeing all of you back at church on November the 7th. Uh, we will not have Wednesday services again this week, but next Sunday uh, I will be looking forward to having you here at 9 and 11. And uh, certainly I'm very, very thankful for all the prayers uh, for everyone I would ask a special prayer uh, for Jim Rast. Uh, Mr. Rast has lost three family members in just the past uh, few days. Um, and certainly I know he needs our prayers, he and Peggy. Um, there are others who I know are sick. Brian uh, is doing better. He is at home. Uh, they're going to be looking for kind of getting an idea of what uh, they can do for him uh, to battle the lung cancer that he's recently been diagnosed with. But certainly I'm looking forward to seeing all of you back on November the 7th again. Cannot wait uh, to be together and uh, just praying for everyone to be safe and, and to be well. Again, if you are not feeling well uh, on November the 7th, please feel free to stay home. We ask you to stay home, uh, even if it's a little sniffle. Uh, just better to be safe uh, than sorry. And uh, so certainly remember that as we look to next Sunday to return. This morning, we're going to talk about something that we all have in our life, scars. Uh, my arms and hands are certainly scarred up pretty good uh, just from, I guess, being a boy growing up. And then as a man doing some dumb things uh, in life, I have a few scars as well. Um, just things that I did that I've done, but not just those physical scars, but certainly the scars of life. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. We've been looking at a woman named Rahab. Uh, a lot of the places in scripture you find her known as the harlot Rahab or Rahab the harlot. Um, this morning I want us to look at someone who would maybe have been a little bit familiar with the scar that she wore from her past, but was set free from when God allowed her into his kingdom, into his family. Also look at John chapter 4. Normally we would read straight through the scripture, but we're going to actually read through this this morning together and kind of do this verse by verse. And, and as we get there, we're going to look at some of the things that Christ did to help deal with a woman who had many, many scars. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 42. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to be able to come together and to uh, maybe just sit in our homes this morning and, and watch this online, but we're doing it together as a church. And we thank you, Father, for the many blessings that you've given us. We ask now that you watch over those that we've mentioned. Father, we trust uh, Mr. and Ms. Rast to you. Father, we trust Brian and Cindy to you. And Lord, I know that Brian has a long road ahead, but Father, we trust him to you. And we thank you, Father, he has already trusted himself and his eternity to you. So, Father, we ask now for a miracle in his life. Be with his wife, Father, and their daughter, Nicole. Just tr we trust them to you. And, Father, we just wrap your arms around them this morning. We praise in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. The Bible says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, 
Though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. Now, we know by history that the Jews tried to avoid this area. They did not mingle with the Samaritans. Um, but it says that Jesus here came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. So this has got some history here. The Jews would have known this place well. Now, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now, before we read this next part, you need to understand that it would have been very, very odd for a Jewish person, again, to speak or sit with someone from Samaria. But on top of that, this is going to be a woman of Samaria that Jesus is going to engage in conversation. It says, verse 7, that a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. It amazes me that Jesus understood the situation and his disciples have left and here this woman comes. All of this setup, of course, we know by God himself. God's timing is impeccable. It's perfect. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? This woman knew how things were between the Jews and the Samaritans. It says, for the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. This woman is thirsty. Her mouth is probably somewhat dry from thirst. Jesus, however, is not speaking to her based upon what she feels physically, but instead he is dealing with her spiritual dryness, her spiritual drought. But the woman doesn't quite understand. The woman said to her, or said to him, excuse me, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Again, rich history here at this place. This is a place that would have been very familiar to all. Jesus understanding this woman's need. This woman still not understanding her need. So Jesus deals with this water, this thirst that she has. She's still not quite understanding. So Jesus is going to open her mind by really dealing with what just like us, we don't understand. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. I don't know about you, but if I'm still thinking in the physical, like this woman would have been, and someone offers me a drink of water that guarantees that I'll never thirst again, I'm going to be listening. I'm paying attention. Again, he says, but the water I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Again, Jesus is speaking to the spiritual. She is still hearing in the physical. Something is blocking her hearing. Something is blocking her ability to understand what Jesus is saying. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Again, she is asking if there's something that you can do to quench the physical thirst Please give it to me. I, I hate the journey here. 
And then once I'm here, I've got to go down and send the bucket down deep. And, and once there's there, then I've got to draw it back up. And it's very tiresome. It, it's, it's a lot of work to get this done. And so if you have this water, give it to me because, man, I never want to have to do the work again. She's still blinded, see? She hasn't seen the spiritual. She's only seeing the physical. And I'm afraid that a lot of us can't see the spiritual in life. We just see the physical. We see how hard something is, but we cannot see the spiritual meanings of life. So Jesus is about to do something. Jesus is about to confront this woman's scars. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Go and call your husband and come here. Jesus knew what was about to transpire. He knew the conversation that was about to happen. But he had to confront the very thing that was keeping her from being able to hear what Jesus was truly saying. By confronting her scars, he is going to switch her from a physical need now to a spiritual need. But unless her scars were confronted by Christ himself, she would never have understood the spiritual need that she had. So the woman says in verse 17, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one whom you now have is not your husband in that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Do you see what's happened? This woman has gone from, I am thirsty. I have a physical thirst to a place where Jesus confronts one of her major scars. And suddenly she is now thinking spiritually. She looks at Jesus. She says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. All of a sudden, she is seeing in Jesus something greater than the physical. She is seeing the spiritual and exactly what it is that Jesus is trying to get across to her. And so she begins with this. She says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Again, the Pharisees demanding that you make the long distance travel, that, that you have to be at a certain place and wear certain clothes and do certain things. They were, they were all ceremonial. And this woman is wanting to get all of this out. She's trying to talk her way through a spiritual conversation, but she really doesn't understand what's happening. Jesus said to her, woman, verse 21, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Remember, Jesus came to his own and his own knew him not. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. He's not just asking you to come to church. He's not just asking you to be a better person. He's not just asking you to, to just be married to one person or to do this or do that or commit some, or to confess some things. He is saying, I want you to worship me in spirit and in truth. With all of your being is what he's saying. For 
For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Not just the physical need. I'm not just here for the physical need. I'm here because I have a great spiritual need. I come to a church because of the spiritual needs that I have. I don't come in order to have better relationships with other people. I don't come because I want a better job or I don't come to make God happy. I come because I have spiritual needs. That's why I engage in corporate worship. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Do you catch what's happening? All of a sudden, this woman who is physically thirsty has forgotten the physical thirst, and she is recognizing her spiritual thirst. I don't have the, a husband that Jesus confronts and says, yes, the man that you live with is not your husband, but you have had five husbands. And he begins to just kind of deal with these things. And now spiritually her eyes are open and she says, listen, there's one who we have heard is coming who will tell us all things. He is called the Christ. She's looking now spiritually. She recognizes this great need that she has. She wants to know when the Messiah is coming. And Jesus looks at her in verse 26. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Wow. That physical thirst that was there is no longer recognized. There within her. was a well that was starting to get some water. Within her, in that dryness of her life, trying to find life from one man to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And every relationship left another scar and another scar and another scar. She could not find a way to quench the thirst. But Jesus said, I who stand before you am the Christ. What a conversation. And all of a sudden, after this great conversation has happened, we see the disciples coming back and you're about to see why the disciples needed to be gone for this conversation to happen. Verse 27 says, at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? They were amazed that he would be talking to this woman and, and to a Samaritan woman. If they'd have been there, they'd have been looking at her with indignation. But they were gone so that she and the Christ could have a spiritual conversation. Do you know how many people in this world need a spiritual conversation, but Christians can't have one because they're so busy looking at the physical, looking at all the faults of a person that they can't see that the person just needs Jesus? Verse 26 says, the woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, 
and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could he be the Christ? And they went out of the city and came to him. This woman who was physically thirsty was so spiritually touched that did you notice what she did? She came for the physical water and yet she left her pot because she had been filled with spiritual water. She goes out and she asks the men of the area, could this be the Christ? She has been confronted with the truth of who Christ is to the point that she's moved to go and tell others of this man. Verse 39 says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. Jesus confronts our scars when he confronts our sin. And he confronts our scars and our sin so that we will know how thirsty we are. And then he tells us that all of the things you're trying to do to fill yourself will never work. You will always remain thirsty until you come to the living well of Jesus Christ. Verse 40 says, so when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Well, my friend, because this woman was searching through many different avenues, She could never find the thing that would quench her eternal thirst. But then she met a man. She tried all the other men. She'd been through many relationships, but she finally met the man, Jesus the Christ, who confronted her scars. And by confronting her scars, he brought her hope. And because of her testimony, many came to believe that Jesus was the Christ. You see, scars remind us where we've been, but they don't have to dictate where we're going. I can look at all of the things that I've done and all the, uh, just the dumb things I've done in life. Some things I've got scars from because of bad decisions. Some scars I have because I was trying to help others and the process was hurt. But my scars just tell me where where I've been, not where I'm going. 
Here's another one that I find. These authors that I, as far as I know, are unknown, but I found these to be quite good. Don't hide your scars. They don't define you. They just remind you that you're no longer bleeding. So here's the question. Can I trust Jesus with my scars? Can I trust this Messiah, the Christ, with my scars? How is it that he would understand he was perfect, sinless? How would he know how to handle my scars? Let me read this to you. Isaiah 53 says, Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness that... And we, uh, when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. How many Pharisees recognized him and yet they refused to see him as the Messiah, as the Christ, because he didn't fit their mold. But verse 4 says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Why? Why would this happen? Verse 5 says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one to his own way. Oh, the Pharisees thought, oh, we've got this figured out. We, we know how to be righteous. We know how to be good. We know how to put on the right show. We've convinced everyone. But yet the Bible says that they've all turned to their own way. So what did God have to do. And the Lord, it says, has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked but with the rich at his death. Because he had no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So can you trust God with your scars? Can you trust Christ? Let me read again verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. The stripes of Christ 
that became scars upon his body. Scars that would tell the story of every sin, of every personal scar for every believer to ever trust in the scars of Christ. He has quenched my thirst because he took my cross, my nails, my stripes. My friend, whatever you have in your life today, whatever scars you may have and whatever story they may have told, you can trust them to Christ and find living water that springs up into eternal life. There is hope for our scars. You don't have to live in your past. You can be set free. Pray. Pray for God to confront your scars. You would rather have your scars exposed than be separated from God for all eternity. And yes, I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that our scars must be confronted in order for us to go to heaven. That's called repentance. That's called ownership. And Christ will take and make what was broken brand new. He won't take away your scars. Again, they're there to remind you that you don't want to go back there again. But he will give you a brand new life for all eternity. Father, we thank you that we can trust you with our scars. And we thank you, Father, that you hold us In the sight of your son, and instead of seeing my sin and my filthiness and all of the scars that I have, Father, instead of that, you see your own son who was bruised for my iniquities and by whose stripes I am healed. Thank you, Father. Thank you for forgiveness and thank you for the water that has quenched my eternal thirst. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen.